Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. God delights in us. Uh, we're going to go to Psalm 18. It's a very lengthy psalm. And we're going to talk about some of the key parts of it. But before we get there, I would like to read 2 Peter 1.4. It's our overarching verse. And would you read it with me, please? Let's go. God made great and marvelous promises so that his nature would become part of us. Then we could escape our evil desires and the corrupt influences of this world. God made great and marvelous what? Promises. You could write this down on the sheet that you were given. Through the promises of God, we see the heart of God. We see the heart of God, and his nature becomes a part of us. You want to know the heartbeat of God? Read the promises. Last week, I shared with you that someone spent a year and a half going through the Bible cover to cover and back and forth and found 7,467 promises that God made to humanity. You want to know the heart of God? Look at his promises. What did he say? Well, I love you with an everlasting love. Not when you're on good behavior do I love you. I just love you, and I can't love you any more than I love you right now. That's good news. What else did he say? He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What a great promise, especially if you're going through a dark time in your life. I will never, ever, ever turn my back on you. When you want me, I'm there. You draw near to me and I draw near to you. You call on me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. Jeremiah 33.3. I memorized that when I was 14. Never forgot it. Through the promises of God, we see the heart of God. And by seeing the heart of God, we have hope. You want to be more like God? Know his heart. You want to know his heart? Know his promises. And when you know his promises, you have hope. You have hope. Hope to move forward, not just to sit back in your lazy boy of life and say, God, I got hope. No, no, it's actually a movement word. It moves us forward. It doesn't have us just stop and get stuck. It it moves us forward because we saw last week that God is a promise maker and he's a promise keeper. We even sang it this morning. He's a way maker when there seems to be no way. And this God cannot lie. Joshua 21, 45, not one of all of the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. Everyone. Where else can we go? Where else can we build our life? What else can we trust as number one? What else can we we use to guide our life but the scriptures of God, the Bible of God, the Holy Spirit of God? So Psalm 18, we come to this psalmist, David. He is writing a song, and some of you know that it's not only in Psalm 18, but when he's an old man in 2 Samuel 22, he will sing it again. The same psalm. He's going through a difficult time in his life. Things are not going his way. He has spent 20 years as a fugitive. But yet somewhere in his heart, he's held on to the promise that God said, I will make you a king and my anointing will rest upon you. It just doesn't feel like it right now. The psalm starts with God's past deliverance for David. He tells God 
what God has done for him. He is in a dark place, but he's rehearsing the goodness of God. Psalm 18, verse 1 to 3, I love you. Now, first of all, that's sometimes hard to say to God when God doesn't do things your way. Come on. He will never withhold his love from us, but sometimes we withhold our love from him. Let me, let me say it again. I know you got out of bed to come here to hear that, but let me say it again. Uh, he will never withhold his love from us, but sometimes we withhold our love and obedience and worship and loyalty to him because things didn't go the way that we had asked. But the Lord, you, you, you are my strength. The Lord is my rock and my, and my deliverer. That's hard to say when you're not being delivered. You're my deliverer, Lord, and I'm in the middle of darkness. You're the comforter of my life, but I'm going through a tragedy, loss of a loved one. You're the, you're the hope when I have no hope. And that's a big declaration. You're my rock in whom I take my refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is... And see, there's the key. He's worthy of praise no matter what's going on in my life. God is worthy of praise. Somebody over here say amen. Okay, God's worthy of praise. Somebody over here say amen. God's worthy of praise. Somebody over here say I'm awake. Oh, wait, wait. Yeah, he's worthy of praise. Amen? He is. He's worthy of praise. No matter what the situation or circumstance, God is still God and he's, oh, he's worthy of praise. And then he says this. This is really profound. I have been saved from my enemies. He's talking about his past. I've been saved by my enemies in the past. I have been, past tense. And it's an assurance that I will be again. So I have been saved from my enemies. God, I'm rehearsing all the great things you have done for me in the past. Here's some lessons for you. While in the pain and difficulties of the present, we must praise God for his gracious acts in our past. And that's not just some kind of hype little thing. Some pastor came out this morning and said, hey, let's praise God no matter what. But, but we need to rehearse and remind ourselves of the good things, the great things that God has done for us in our past when it looks like he's not doing them now. Let me say it again. It doesn't look like he's doing it now. We need to praise him for what he's done in the past. Why? Faith comes by hearing and, and hearing the word of God. The greatest place for you to hear the word of God it's not from me. It's from you. When you declare his word, when you read it out loud, when you declare the, the, the word, the right word, let me tell you what I mean by that. God, I remember two years ago when, and I will give you praise for that. Right now, it's not happening, Lord, but I didn't praise you enough the last time you delivered me, the last time you provided a gracious act in my past, so I'm doing it now. And when you're rehearsing in worship, Waymaker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, you are who you are. I mean, come on. I was like, I was feeling some reggae coming on. Anyway, I, I thought Jeff was going to drop the, the guitar and start rapping, you know. Even when I don't see you. Okay, forget it, forget it. Some of you were sitting there like this. That's really good. When's it over? <laughs> I saw you. When's it over? You know, I'm back there worshiping on my drums, you know. By the way, I'm worshiping on my drums, and I'm beating the devil up at the same time. 
I said, oh, I, I see that person back there. They need a little help. Boom, boom. <laughs> you didn't know. I just thought I'd let you in on a secret. What happens behind the plexiglass? Yeah, yeah, that's it. God's gracious acts in the past. By the way, I don't know how I got on that. But anyway, in the pain of the present, we must rehearse the promises God made in the past. What are his promises? You need to know some. You should have them in your hip pocket. You should have some in your wallet. You should have some in your purse. You should have some in your notes on your phone. I mean, what are some of the promises in the past? And and here's what David says in this song. And, And by the way, he's singing and there should be no melody. He's worshiping in a song and there should be no tune in his heart, but yet something has happened where he's calibrating his heart. I I will worship you. And, And here's the list that he gives. He says, God is my strength. He's my strength. And so I looked all of these up in a bunch of Hebrew dictionaries and put all the definitions in my, my, my theological blender and I hit puree and here's what came out. My strength is the one who empowered David to survive against and defeat his enemies in the past. You're my rock, God. You're the place of shelter and safety and a secure place to stand. You're my fortress, a place of strength and safety. You're my deliverer, the one who made a way of escape for him. There was no way to get out of what he had been in in the past, but God made a way of escape. By the way, remember David and Goliath? When David had fought against Goliath, he could say that, God, you're my deliverer. He came at me with sword and javelin, but I came in in him in, in the name of the Lord and by the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And then he's my God. He's my God. Not just an object of adoration, but the one who puts strength and hope inside of my soul. I love that. He's my shield. This is really good. He defends both my head and my heart. They're about, uh, what, you know, 16, 18 inches apart, your, your head and your heart. But they're really close, aren't they? How you start to think is how you start to feel. How you start to feel is how you, you shape your thinking. Renew my mind, Lord. Maybe renewed in the way I think. And then he says, you're the horn of my salvation, my strength and my defense. It's, it's the horn that would be played like the ram's horn. Sound of battle. You're, 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 you're the sound, Lord God, of strength and defense for me. And after this, there's a place of danger where David begins to cry out. And here's what he says, Psalm 18, verse 4 and 5. The cords of death, what? Entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him. What confidence. How did David know that his cry came before the Lord? Because the Lord had promised he would hear our cry. I don't have to second guess that God hears my cry. I call unto the Lord and he hears my cry. How cool. His place of holy dwelling. But but notice what's going on here. The cords of death entangled me. The the, the torrents of destruction. And you know, I'm not an artist, but I just wanted you to get this. I was going to draw a stick man. Should I? Okay, good. Thank you very much. There he is. And his name is David. David. And he's sad because what's, what's going on? 
The cords of death entangled me. Okay? The cords of death. Death. And, and what else? The torrents. Anybody know what a torrent is? Someone would say it's a storm. Eight o'clock said, oh, it's a storm. Okay? It's a storm. It's a storm. Storm. Others would say it's the sea. It's, um, I don't know if any of you watch one of my favorite shows. I still watch the reruns, Deadliest Catch. There's something about that team on that boat, 150-foot, 170-foot boat out in the middle of the Bering Sea, and they're going after the elusive crab. Anybody seen it? Yeah, good, good. All four of you. And uh, one of the top-rated shows in America, but that's four people in Lompo, okay? Come on. Yeah. And uh, anyway, anyway, it doesn't matter. It just picture a boat out in the middle of the ocean. And I don't care how big your boat is. 150 feet, 170, 200, 300-foot vessel in the middle. So he goes, well, I'm going on a princess cruise. That's a little dinky plastic boat in a bathtub compared to the ocean. Come on. That ocean is huge last time I checked. And in David's life, the torrents, and I don't know if you could picture this, just a dark sea, and, and, and the term in the, the, the Greek is, and the reason I drew this box is, is he's, he's limited. He's hemmed in right now. Everything is crushing in on his life. Everything feels like the snares of death have confronted him. And even though his God is a life-giving God, he doesn't feel like it now. I love you, Lord. You're my strength, my rock, my stronghold. The whole list that we just went through, that's who he's declaring. So he is making a declaration. This is just for me to keep me on track. Uh, a declaration. And he's crying out to God. And here's three Hebrew words that emerge from this imagery. When he says cords of death, when he says cords of the grave, when he says snares of death, here's the word. Helplessness, hopelessness, and uselessness. What's the use? Ever said it? It's useless. My situation is useless. My addiction, it's useless for me to think I'll ever be sober or clean. My financial situation is such that I am under, I am underwater. Ever heard that phrase? The, the, the torrents of the sea of debt are about to drown me. I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. I have no hope in the dark. That's what he's saying here. I am being strangled by my situation and my circumstance. I feel hopeless. I feel without God. One uh, verse even says that I feel the ungodliness of my day I live in. And in my distress, that's what he says, in my distress, verse 6 now, Psalm 18, in my distress, what do you do in your distress? You don't need to respond, but think about it for a moment. What do you do when you are distressed, overwhelmed? I asked a few people this question, so this is an unscientific survey. One lady says, I get a bottle of wine, not a glass. Not a taste, not a sip. We're going wine sipping. She said, I get a bottle of wine. Okay? If that's you, come on. I'm not attacking anybody. Someone else says, well, it's legal now. I smoke some cannabis. It's the way to go. One man told me recently, I, again, I'm just telling you with the survey, don't get mad at me. 
He said, I, I, after I smoke a few joints, I really can worship God well. Again, I'm not here to cause controversy. It's legal in our town. There's 21 more applications that have been approved. So it's, it's here. And uh, again, I'm not making any political statement. I'm just saying, someone else says, when I'm in distress, I just isolate myself from everybody. I don't want to see anybody. I go to work comatose. I come home comatose. I'll watch TV, and I can't land on any program I like. I just flip through. Ladies, ladies, if you have a man in your house, you know what we do. We flip through. We're the same guys in a hotel room. We play with all the buttons. Come on, whatever's there. We're the same guys who get a rental car. We play with everything there is to play with. Come on. That's me, my poor wife. Every once in a while has to just say, Bernie, the remote, please. What would you like to watch? I don't know. And she says, well, I'll find something. Boom. HGTV, I can't wait, you know. <laughs> flip this flop, flop this flip, whatever, you know what I mean? Come on. Or sometimes when we can't find any to watch, we watch Guy Fieri on Dinah's Drivers and Dives. Because he drives a 67 Camaro. Why wouldn't I watch him? This is really cool. What does that have to do with anything? I don't know. But what do you do in your distress? What do you do? You isolate, insulate, medicate, pontificate as though you know everything there is to know. He says, my enemies are too strong for me. But here's what I'd like to say to you. When you feel helpless, hopeless, and useless, helpless, hopeless, and useless, aren't you glad for his honesty? And he declares, he declares in verse 6, I called to the Lord, I cried to my God for help. By the way, I'm just going to submit to you. I'm just going to tell you something that I've been working on real hard since Thanksgiving. This is the first thing I'm doing now. I don't get it right every day, but the first thing I do when I feel overwhelmed or distressed, I stop and I cry out to my God for help. Could I just tell you, that as your pastor, that this would be a great lesson? Lord, my first reaction, my first response to being overwhelmed or in distress, I'm just going to pause, take a deep breath, because it's supposed to be good for you, right? Deep breath and exhale and inhale and hold it and exhale, and then cry out to God. Lord, I feel hopeless, helpless, useless. I love what he says later in verse 21, uh, Psalm 18, 21, for I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. Why do I believe that's important? Because a lot of people turn away from God when stuff gets dark. Lord, I blame you for that. Why did they have to die so young? Why did that go so bad? Why did that investment not prove out to be what they said it would? How come that job doesn't fulfill me like they said it would? How come I got hired and then got fired? What's going on, God, in my life? And I'm going to not ever stop keeping your ways. I will not be guilty of turning from you when, after all, you're the one that I, I need. You're the one that I need. And so in verse 16 now, going back up, he reached down from on high and took hold of me. Just, just picture God's arm coming down and picking up my stick man, David, right? right? And he drew me out of the... Deep waters, he rescued me from my, and from my, 
who were too strong for me. In other words, you don't fight alone. And the other words is this, you are God, your God is actively involved in your life even when you don't know he's actively involved. We sang it this morning. When we don't even see that you're working, you're working. You're doing your work in us. And they confronted me in the day of my disaster. I'm in a disaster, he's saying, and helplessness, hopelessness, and uselessness have confronted me. I'm in a vulnerable place. I have no strength. And now here comes more enemies. Thanks a lot, life. Come on, I'm at a weak place, a vulnerable place, and I, I just I can't fight anymore. And here comes more enemies. That's exactly what he's saying. But the Lord, come on, but the Lord, but the Lord, is it up there? Yeah, he was what? It's okay, you can respond. You know, I had to tell one lady, she came from another church, because we, we never talked back to the pastor. He, we never said amen, we never said yay, we never said hi, we just came to church and got quiet. This is a different church. So if you're here and you're new to the church, I gotta tell you, every once in a while I'll say, hey, what does it say? And then you can respond, it's okay. Somebody said, but I don't wanna respond. It's okay, you can sit there and be quiet too. Or you can watch online in your furry slippers while you're eating your oatmeal. I see you out there. But anyway, anyway, he brought me out into a... Why? Because he was my support. It doesn't feel like he's your support if death is around your neck. If the storms are coming in. By the way, he says, Lord, I remember a time when I defeated Goliath. He came at me with sword and javelin, but I came at him with the spirit of the Lord, the anointing of God on my life. That's what he was rehearsing earlier in this chapter. God takes hold of us. You could write this down. You've been waiting so patiently. And will bring us out. He takes hold of us and will bring us out. He takes the initiative God was already at work in David's life. David just cried out to God. God says, no, no, don't worry, David. I see all this. I've already been working on your behalf. I'm going to align myself, David says, with the purposes of God. I'm going to give my life over to God. By the way, if you've not given your life over to Jesus, uh, I don't know what you will do when this happens to you. I guess you're going to rescue yourself. I guess one of your friends who's been so loyal to you all their life is going to come and pull you out of the, the storms and the torrent. Can I tell you, when helplessness, hopelessness, and uselessness happen to you, there's not a human being on the planet that can help you. They, they might offer aid, but there's not a human being on the planet that can reach down, verse 16, and pull you out. Only God can do that. And where does he take him? The scripture says he takes him to a spacious place. Write it down. Spacious. So David is saying, look, over here I'm hemmed in, but now God's brought me to this, this big spacious place where Pastor Bernie's drawing David with a smile on his face because his heart is now living in in, in in freedom in a spacious place. I was going down this dark hallway bumping against this hallway. I couldn't find any hope, but all of a sudden, God opened up the door at the end of the hallway, and it was like, like I walked into something this big after being in a three-foot-wide hallway. God's brought me to a spacious place. Why does he use the word spacious? 
Because when you're in a spacious place, God has more for you. There's more possibilities. There's more of his grace. There's more of his life. There's more of his hope. What was hemming me in, the cords of death, what was making me feel like I was useless and, and, and hopeless, all of a sudden those were gone from me and God put me in a spacious place and gave me more to my life than I had before. See, God's desire is to take us out of what is restraining and diminishing our life and give us more. And I'm not talking about more money and more square footage. And I'm not talking about prosperity of the wallet. I'm talking about prosperity of the soul. Where you know God in such a way that he brings hope to you and life to you and light to you and forgiveness of your sins and life John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and might have it more abundant. And here's the key to this message today. I took all this time to finally get to the point. At least I know it. Psalm 18.19, why did God do this? Because he delighted in me, David said. Why don't you say it again? God delights in me. Just say it. God, God, God delights in me. Do you think God wants you to stay here? Now, sometimes this hemming in is a result of decisions we made. And it takes a while to get delivered in a sense. You know, if you violated the law, you, 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 you do the crime, you do the time, right? It might be hemmed in. You make lousy credit card decisions, you, you might be hemmed in for a while. But in your soul, in your soul, God can begin to get you in a spacious place where you learn that he has more for you, where you learn you know, principles of how to get out of debt. We're going to be doing a financial peace class again, helping people do that. Practical things. But in the spiritual, you're in a spacious place. See, God rescues me because he delights in me. If you've ever done something really, excuse my Latin, stupid, you had to pay a price for it? Maybe you did something so stupid it was public and you were embarrassed? And it took a long time to even like show your head around people? This starts to happen. The, 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 the hopelessness starts to... Helplessness, hopelessness, and uselessness start going away. And God starts giving you hope and breathing new life into your heart. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. God rescues me because he delights in me. Say it again. God delights in me. Yeah. Look at your neighbor again and say, God delights in you. No, really. God, God delights in you. Yeah, other side too. Good. God delights in you. Hey, what was the last, hey, this week when you went to work or in your neighborhood or in your condo complex or in your mobile home park, how many people got up and said, hey, God delights in you. Hey, you're delightful. God woke, God, God watched you wake up this morning. He said, whoa, look, they're up. I delighted them. Yay. We don't talk like that in our world anymore. We're quick to be cynical, critical, sarcastic. Come on. Make a mistake, people will pounce on you from every corner. But God says, no way, I delight in you. And his delight in us is our hope. Psalm 149.4, for the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. 
Now, why does he delight in you? I'm going to give you the answer. It's real deep. Because he chooses to. Jesus came in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. For God so loved the world, he has chosen to extend his delight and love to you because at the core of his being, remember, we know the heart of God by studying the promises of God. And that nature of God then changes our nature. Well, here's what we know. God is a lover He's a delighter in what he made, humanity. He delights in you and loves you, and you can't change that. You can't obey God today, and he goes, whoa, I love you more. See, some of us in humankind, we, we can withhold our love. Maybe you grew up and you had somebody, a mom or dad, withhold their love from you until you perform a certain word. God says, I may not like what you're doing right now as you're disobeying me, doing your own thing, but I love you with an everlasting love. My love cannot change. Now, some of you go, yeah, I've heard that in church before, but how many times have we not believed it? We disobeyed. We made a promise. We didn't keep it. We screwed up. We did something. We said, Lord, you can count on me, and then we, we, we weren't faithful. And God says, you know what? I love you anyway. You knucklehead, I love you anyway. <laughs> hey, how many of you just... If you'd be bold enough, how many of you have a mortgage of any kind of mortgage? How many have student debt? Yeah. I know a lady in our church has about 95000 in student debt, and she graduated 10 years ago. That's huge. How many have car loans? Loans, plural? How many have one car loan? How many are paying in your dishwasher? Okay, <laughs> By the way, it's bad. You got to pay in a dishwasher. See me afterwards. We'll have a conversation. Yeah, I just want you to know you're you're in a church that's debt free. We well, all that we you see our buildings are it's we're debt free. That's because of the generosity of people and good stewardship of many church councils that we've had in the past and the current one. And you're sitting under a pastor who's never paid a penny interest on a credit card. I use my credit card because they give me money back. You know how I get money back? From people that pay interest on their card. I asked. I called Visa. I said, how do you guys do this? I got a chunk of money back last year. How do you guys do this? Well, a lot of people pay interest on credit cards. Over 80% of our clients are paying buku interest. I thought, wow. Hey, can I just talk to you, all you people now? Some of you are getting nervous in here. You can talk about money. You can take another offering. You know, I, can t- I, I know. I've been there before. You know what I want to say? Whatever debt you have right now, just picture somebody walking up to your house today, knocking on your door. You're like, whoa, ring went off. Oh, don't go and answer the door, honey. Pretend like we're not home. Maybe it's Jehovah Witness. Pretend like we're not here. Right? And they got a registered letter to say, all your debt has been paid. What? Yeah, student loans, car loans, mortgage. All paid. You owe zero. And you call the bank the next day. By the way, don't you dare give that person your social security number. <laughs> right? But you go to the bank the next day and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone came in and paid off all your debt. Whoa. And they made this huge deposit in your savings account. You didn't even know you had one. It's a spacious place. I, I would love you to picture Jesus walking down, grabbing your hand, and saying, hey, 
all your sins, all your wrongdoing, all your doubt, all your fear. I have paid the price for all of that. Everything you owe because of your sin has been paid for at the cross. Would you just allow my life to be applied to your account? My finished work on Calvary, the fact that I rose again from the dead, would you just allow that to be applied to your life? And so all the uselessness and hopelessness and being hemmed in, now you walk into the spacious place of God's grace and God's mercy and God's Holy Spirit anointing in your life and everything has changed. Jesus came to deliver us from works, but to save us by faith in his works, the works that he did. You can't work to be saved, but we believe in the work that Jesus Christ did for us, and he changes everything. So as we get ready to finish, I don't know how many of you have yet to give your life to Christ. Today would be a great day. And what's, what's my, my lead-in for that? What, what, do you, what do you do when you're called upon to save yourself? When your ship is taken on water? And someday, you and I are going to stand before the God of the universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he's going to look into our eyes and say, uh, why are you here? Because I'm awesome. And he's going to say, uh, no. And then somebody else is going to walk up in front of him. Here's what I'm going to say. I've already practiced it. I'm here because of my brother. And my friend Jesus, your son? Hey, hey God, we're related. Huh? And I'm not worthy to be here. You should have sent me to the other place where it's really hot. But I'm here because Jesus said I could come. Because it was a day where I said, you're my Lord, you're my Savior. I believe that you died on a cross for me. I believe you rose again from the dead for me. And I want your salvation to be applied to my helplessness, hopelessness, and uselessness. And he reached down, Psalm 18, and he grabbed me. Jesus fought for me, and he gave me life in him. If you don't know him, this is a great day to give your life to Christ. And if you're going through a season of storm, you feel like death is around your neck. Can I just encourage you to cry out to God? Cry out to our rock. Cry out to our salvation. Cry out to our deliverer. Cry out to our hope. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.